0: Hello, I'm Katie Brain, and welcome to Goodness Gracious Grief. Now, Mother's Day isn't a celebration for everyone. There are some people today who will simply be waiting for this day to be over, waiting for all those cards and gifts to disappear from the stores, and thankful that the series of email advertisements will finally be over. Mother's Day could be difficult if you have lost your mum recently, or if you are a mum but your baby is not here. In today's episode, I want to take a moment to discuss baby loss, something which is still very much a taboo conversation. Miscarriages are much more common than people realise. You may have had a miscarriage yourself and you might have never told anyone about it. And this is absolutely your choice and only for you to share if you're comfortable. The NHS website states that among women who know they're pregnant, it's estimated about one in eight pregnancies will end in a miscarriage. I can only imagine how heartbreaking a miscarriage must be and I do understand that this may be something that you wish to grieve for in private. Sometimes though, things cannot be kept private when you've welcomed a new baby boy or girl into the world and you share that joy with all of those around you. But for some, that world can be turned upside down. According to SANS, the Stillbirth and Neonatal Deaths Charity, in 2018 in the UK, around 5,000 babies were stillborn or died within the first four weeks of their lives. That means that every day in the UK, around 14 babies die before, during or soon after birth. So. If this Mother's Day is about loss for you, take a moment to listen to the story of this amazing woman I have the honour of calling my friend. Emma has her own personal story to share about baby loss and although recently heartbroken, she has had so much strength to pick herself up and raise awareness around the issues of miscarriage and baby loss. I spoke to Emma earlier this week and I wanted to start at the beginning. I asked... Was getting pregnant easy for you?
1: The first time we fell pregnant, I come off of the pill and I think I fell pregnant on my second cycle. And then, obviously, I had a miscarriage. And then fell pregnant about three months after that one. um, Had a miscarriage. Fell pregnant, I think, five months after. So all in all, within 18 months, we had four miscarriages. So four pregnancies in 18 months.
0: That must have been pretty heartbreaking in itself. How would you pick yourself up off the back of that and just carry on again because obviously getting pregnant's not an issue here it's the long term
1: yeah uh i think in the back of my head i was always like it wasn't meant to be um there was something wrong that one wasn't meant to be it was only until i think we'd had like our third or fourth that i was kind of like right um this is getting a bit silly now there must be something wrong to be honest with you i think it was probably like i felt like it was the norm um the thought of getting past 12 weeks in a pregnancy felt abnormal because i was so used to so used to losing them it just kind of become a routine kind of become normal so it's kind of like pregnancy test positive okay and then you're waiting for that miscarriage I mean that's after sort of like when it happens the first two times it was it was devastating but after that then you kind of wait for it to happen again so were you ever excited about being pregnancy after that first miscarriage No, no um maybe the first one um because I was told so much that oh it was It was just one of those things. Um, It happens to so many people. You'll be fine, try again. Um, So maybe after the first miscarriage, I was kind of like, no, it was, you know, we'll be fine. It it happened. After I had my second miscarriage, I then started thinking, is this ever going to happen? And then after I had my third, or when I was pregnant, should I say, for the third time, I was just like, yeah, I'm not, I didn't look forward to anything. Um, As soon as I got that positive pregnancy test, it was like fear um set in and then obviously by the time I got to the fourth one it was just I just saw the pregnancy test and then thought like a a positive means the end because I just didn't know any different it was just like waiting for it to happen so you did make it to 12 weeks and you went for your scan what was that like um scary one I was by myself um because obviously we was in lockdown um I was even more scared because when we went she was hiding so far back in my uterus that they couldn't find her. Um, in my head, I knew everything was okay because we'd gone for so many private scans. Because obviously, of what had happened, mm-hmm. I was literally in the hospital for nearly two hours because she was hiding. And then when they eventually found her and everything was fine, it was it was a bit of a relief. But still, in the back of my head, I was kind of like, "This doesn't mean this doesn't mean anything," you know. Just because, again, it's very difficult to be positive when so many negatives have happened. So yeah, when I had it, I was just like kind of jumping for joy. Um, come out, show Dan the scan pictures, and yeah, it was just it felt more real, um, but still very scary. The anxiety was still really bad.
0: A baby, something that obviously you were planning for, yeah. But what preparations had you made, and did your baby at this point after scan already have a name or anything?
1: Honestly, we we hadn't. Really prepared for anything again just because we were so used to the losses um, I'd already prepared for a name if it was gonna be a girl all along ever since we started trying for a baby I said if I ever have a little girl I would call it after my nan so yeah that was kind of the only thing that we would prepared for was a name if it was a girl we didn't really prepare for anything else I think I was trying in my head to get to sort of 20 21 weeks 25 weeks before I started to prepare um, 12 weeks was just a little bit little bit too scary. I did buy a few little things, but I kind of felt like I was maybe going to put a curse on it and then, you know, wake up in the morning and it would all, dis- all be disappeared. But, um, yeah, no, there wasn't much preparation at that point.
0: You did find out that you were having a little girl. Yeah. What was her name? Her
1: name was Ivy.
0: What happened next?
1: After our 12-week scan, we went for quite a few private um scans just because obviously Dan was allowed to come into the room. Obviously we went for our 20-week scan at the hospital. Everything was perfect um, at the hospital. There was nothing you know that they could find. She was measuring perfectly. There was n- no problems at all. Um, obviously got it double-checked. So she was a girl and then from that point we just started buying everything. Um, people were buying us gifts all the time. Furniture was ordered, Push chair was ordered, car seat was ordered because 20 weeks to me is is kind of like a full-term pregnancy because we've never ever got to that point and um, and then I got to 21 weeks and I believed was a mucus plug um contacted my midwife and she said that it couldn't be a mucus plug she told me to go to the chemist and get bv treatment and um, which I was a bit funny about because I thought okay B. I know you know the symptoms of BV and this didn't sound like BV and um, so I done what she said and um, messaged her a few weeks later saying that I was having pain after going to the toilet so when I was going for a wee I was having pain after um, and she said that it's nothing to worry about she wasn't concerned everything seemed okay with the baby movement was fine and um, her heart rate was perfect then I got to just over 25 weeks and my waters broke. Um, Went to the hospital. They done tests and swabs to confirm it was my waters. Obviously spoke to consultants from the near intensive care unit, um, was admitted into hospital, and then yeah, was in hospital for a week before she was born.
0: How are you feeling at this
1: point? Because
0: 25 weeks, that's pretty early.
1: To be honest with you, At the beginning, when they first told me, there really wasn't any emotion. Um, I think I was more overwhelmed with fear than I was emotional. Again, I was on my own, um, like Dan wasn't allowed in with me. Then, when I spoke to the consultants from the NICU, I kind of felt okay, you know, she could potentially still be fine, or I could still potentially go to near enough full term. Um, They said that obviously having no water or low fluid around the baby is not a massive cause for concern as long as the baby's healthy which she was um she was still moving around um heart rate was fine I was fine I was obviously put on antibiotics um I was given steroid injections and was in like I said in hospital for a week so I kind of didn't know how to feel uh, a part of me felt fine because I thought I was in the best place but then another part of me was was dreading the whole thing i didn't want to move i didn't want to get up and go to the toilet i just wanted to lay in bed and keep her as safe as possible so it was it was a roller coaster of emotions you can't put your finger on one emotion
0: and obviously because of covid as well your husband Dan he couldn't even be there with you no he
1: couldn't so i was in hospital the whole time by myself he was allowed to visit but i had to go off of the ward downstairs um to see him which was really difficult because they told me that i shouldn't be walking very far Um, because obviously my waters had broken and they put me on complete bed rest. So I was being put in a wheelchair and taken down to to see people, which kind of made you feel slightly more vulnerable than you actually was. It was horrible, you know, every time they come round to do the baby's heartbeat, it was, Dan wasn't there, I had to message him constantly and say, they've just come round again, everything's fine. Um, So for me it was, it didn't feel as bad because I knew that she was okay, but for Dan not being with me, um, not only was he obviously worrying about me, he was worrying about her as well.
0: And then a week later, Ivy decides that she doesn't want to stay put. What
1: what happened? Yeah, she didn't. Um, I started getting a few pains, um, then they started feeling more like a period pain, uh, then I started bleeding. Obviously called the midwife, of me being me. I declined all medication, any pain relief. I didn't want it. I was adamant. And then it got to a point where I was really struggling with the pain. Um, I started pl- passing quite big clots. Um, that's when they decided that they'd examine me. My cervix was still closed, but they sent me to delivery suite. That was on the Friday. They give me medication through an IV dro- uh, drip called magnesium sulfate. Um, the first dose of that was horrific it, the only way I can d- explain it is I was actually dying um, I still say I saw the light it was the worst feeling ever um, so I had to have that It's basically to help with um, the brain development because obviously she was so tiny so I had a quick burst of it over the space of 10 minutes and then I have a continuous drip there, 8 hours Dan come up because he was allowed in the delivery suite so he come up he spent the afternoon with me by the Friday evening, I was actually feeling okay. The pains had stopped, still bleeding, but they were keeping an eye on me, wasn't concerned. Um, Dan left to go home, and then, to be honest with you, the rest is a bit of a blur. I started getting really, really bad pains again. At that point, I was going into a panic. I just I just didn't know what to do. I'd had lack of sleep. I hadn't slept properly for sort of like 24, 48 hours. And then I don't really remember anything from that point until... I woke up on the Saturday and the pains had stopped <laughs> so it was like I was back in exactly the same you know place that I was in past I started passing a few clots again on the Saturday evening Um, Dan stayed with me that night and then late Saturday night very early on the Sunday morning um I was in such bad pain that I felt like I was sitting on her head um again they examined me um and said that I was seven centimetres dilated. They didn't want to do anything, they didn't want to deliver her because she was perfectly healthy. Um, There was nothing wrong with my stats, so they left us. I think a couple of hours later, they decided to give me a scan to see how low down she was actually laying. The consultant said, we need to take you down to theatre now. She had decided to come out of my birth canal and lay at an angle um, trying to come out with her shoulders and her hands behind her head. Um, so, yeah, I was straight down to theatre for an emergency C-section. And that was early hours on the Sunday morning.
0: So your baby's arrived into the world. Yeah. She's obviously very early, so she's very small. Yeah. But you can see her. But she's taken into NICU to be looked after.
1: Yeah, so when um, when she was born, they took her over to her little incubator, um, they said that she was actually doing really well, she had tried breathing. She had tried to breathe um, and cry for herself but her lungs just were a little bit too weak for that. Um, so they give her a few minutes and then obviously they started breathing for her. Um, they put her in like a tiny little see-through bag um, and a little hat on her, um, obviously to keep her warm. Um, once she's stable they then bring her to the side so I can see her. Um, I couldn't actually touch her because uh, she was in a little bag and I I managed to sort of grab her foot through it um, and they let you take pictures and everything when she's first born. Ivy's in the neonatal unit. Not only
0: is this happening to you during COVID time, so there's that extra pressure there, but was there any relief at any moment that she was finally here?
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely. So when she was born... um, I think the relief started kicking in when the consultants took her to the NICU and they said, she's doing fine. Um, she tried breathing. I was just kind of like, everything's gonna be okay. I knew she was in the best place. Um, the hospital that we had her in had one of the best in, like neonatal intensive care units in the country. There was no part of me that thought she's not gonna be okay. I then kind of turned my attention to me recovering so I could then go and see her.
0: So sixteen days she was in the NICU for, but when did the mood of the doctors and nurses change? When did their their tone
1: with you change? Um, to, to be honest with you, they didn't. They were amazing. There wasn't um, once did I ever think there was anything wrong with her. Um, it was it was really difficult because we would go and see her every single day we would spend time with her we had her out of her incubator she was doing amazing the day that she actually passed away she actually went downhill pretty quickly so they called us to say she had gone downhill but the day before she was absolutely fine so there was no reason for the nurses to to have any sort of reason to to be worried about her so
0: on this day that ivy passed away what was yours and your husband's reaction what do you do in that moment
1: um i i don't even it's kind of unexplainable how you're feeling what you're thinking um i kind of there's a part of you that kind of says that to keep going to you know make sure she's she's gonna be here um keep giving her all the medication um, because they had to resuscitate Ivy and give her adrenaline four times, the consultant said to us that they were happy to continue if we wanted them to continue, but they believed that they should stop, um, obviously because of brain damage, because of the oxygen levels. And I think the only thing that was going through my head was, we need to let her go, because trying to keep her alive and trying to keep her fighting was because me and Dan wanted her here, not because she needed to be here. Um, we were being selfish by saying, "Nope, you have to keep going." Um, it was. It's very difficult to explain because unless you were there to see it, um, it's hard to explain what was going on, um, what they were doing, what she looked like. It's. It's very difficult to to explain and you can't really think of an emotion because at the time there's no matter how hard you try you couldn't even cry because it was more of a shock than than anything else
0: and what was it like when you came home obviously you'd you'd been home because ivy was being looked after by the doctors and nurses but Mm -hmm. when you actually come home for the first time knowing that you can't bring her with
1: you it was awful i come home from the hospital And because we were so excited that we managed to obviously get past the 20 weeks, we'd already had her nursery sorted, it was decorated, the furniture was up. I walked through the the front door to my house and I said to Dan, let's just go upstairs and get rid of everything. I threatened to smash the bedroom up. I didn't want anything in the house. Literally every photo on my phone I wanted to delete. It was only that Dan said to me, don't do that because if you do it, when you're over this, or when this gets easier, should I say, you will regret not having pictures of her. Um, I had her on my phone as my screensaver, I took that off. So every every memory or every photo, anything that reminded me of her, I just wanted gone. I wanted it, I didn't want it in my life. Um, not because Not because I didn't want her in my life, but more because I did want her in my life and I knew she was never gonna come home. So if she was never going to come home, then I wanted to erase the whole the whole situation completely. I was very aware that myself,
0: having a baby so close to when Ivy was born, that this must have been very difficult for you. And I'm ashamed to say that it did take me a couple of weeks to message you and kind of just check in. Yeah. And I was kind of certain that I was the last person that you'd want to talk to at that <laughs> moment in time. But... We did meet up and we spoke about Ivy and that was such a lovely afternoon, but how have other people reacted to your loss and has there kind of been those awkward situations?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I understand that people don't know what to say, um, especially like you said that you just had a baby yourself. When something like that happens, I think you kind of expect people know to know Sorry, what to say, Um, even though people don't know what to say there was people that I expected to contact me that didn't more so close friends that I've known for a very long time again they probably didn't know what to say and I totally get that but I think it makes the whole situation worse for grieving parents when people act like there's something wrong with you like I always put it that um, you can ask how I am or how I'm doing. Um, you don't need to avoid me. I'm not a different person. I'm not a disease. You can't catch anything from me. Um, I think people people think that when you're grieving that you are contagious. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to approach you. Um, they try and keep their distance. They act like you're a different person when that's that's not the case at all. And I think that was that was the hardest thing um I mean everybody was so lovely um we we was getting gifts and you know we was getting flowers um we had like loads of messages it wasn't straight away but like I said it's understandable people don't know what to say but yeah the hardest thing was being treated like a different person being treated like I was as a disease rather than somebody who was just grieving for their baby
0: was there anything anyone could have done or or could have
1: said that would have made you
0: feel better in that moment.
1: No. There's nothing that anybody can say or anyone can do to make you feel better. Um I spoke to one of my friends um who'd lost her little boy at the age of 3 due to meningitis. I spoke to her on the phone and she kept saying to me as time goes on grief will get better. You know, it's it's never going to go away but it will get easier. At the time I was like no it won't like who are you to tell me what what I should be feeling how I should be feeling how long it take me it didn't even matter what my parents or like Dan were saying to me it didn't make a difference we could have had anybody come round, or someone could have said to me you've just won the lottery you know it, anything to make you feel better um, give you anything it wouldn't have made a difference
0: so how are you feeling about Mother's Day this year is it a day that you're going to ignore or
1: something that you will celebrate Um, no, it will definitely be celebrated. Dan asked me a couple of weeks ago um, if he should give me or get me anything from Ivy for Mother's Day. And I said to him, yes, because I'm still her mum. So we always um, used to sing a song to Ivy called You Are My Sunshine. So from the day she passed away, her flower was always a sunflower. So we had the conversation where I said I would like something. And then, I think it was about a week later, we had a delivery of flowers um, that Dan had ordered. Obviously with sunflowers in and a little card just saying like Happy Mother's Day um, and a Pandora charm with like Mum and my angel wrote on the other side. It was a little bit early, Um, I got them last week, but I think having to deal with the day itself plus gifts on top would have just kind of overwhelmed me a little bit too much. Um, So yeah, I will be celebrating it and I'm sure my husband will put something up saying Happy Mother's Day, (laughs) or at least (laughs) you (laughs) better. It's obvious
0: that Ivy's always gonna be a part of your life, but how have you, as a couple, just been been able to remain so strong through all of this? And kind of what plans do you have in place to keep Ivy's memory going on?
1: From day one, when Ivy passed away, we have literally spoke about her. Obviously the night that she passed away was just overwhelming, you, I couldn't even imagine talking about her. Um, but when you kind of get your head around the situation, I started, to, I started to think and to feel that if I was to sit around my house and we were both to sit there and to constantly cry and wish she was still here, that's not going to bring her back, it's just going to make us feel worse. Um, we've spoke about her we spoke about our story from the beginning we use her name like she's still here with us we talk about her to people anything that involves sort of her or even like small things like her bedroom that we decorated is still Ivy's bedroom we just speak about her all the time constantly we've never been ashamed of what's happened some people kind of go into a shell and say well it shouldn't be spoke about you know you shouldn't you shouldn't be talking about her like she's still here where we just spoke about it all the time um obviously i i had different ways of grieving to what dan did so dan used to go and sit in her bedroom um i didn't even want to open the door he would have something on his mind like he asked me the question of if somebody asks me do I have any children what do I say my answer was yes you do but why would you even think about asking me that question but for Danny couldn't get his head around being a dad but not having her here um my motto has always been I'm still her mummy but I can't be her mummy because she's not here for me to look after and yeah just any little thing that he had on his mind no matter how small or big it was he would sit and talk to me. Um, If I had anything on my mind, I would sit and talk to him, no matter how stupid I felt. It's difficult for a man because they don't want to show their emotion, they want to be the rock, they want to be the bigger person. I said to Dan, it doesn't matter how small it makes you feel, or if you feel degraded, you're not crying in front of the world, you're crying in front of me. And that's how we've been from day one. So right from the beginning, we used to just sit and cry every single morning before we got all, like when we got up, um, before we went to bed, the smallest little things would make us cry. We'd just sit and cry and then we would brush it off and just go, okay, that's that. And then just move on. And it just eventually becomes, the grief becomes a part of your life rather than overtaking your life. And I think that's just down to talking about it. Um, I've done a lot of things. I set up a Facebook page in her name and I just post pictures of her or if I find a poem that I like it goes up there it's kind of a Facebook page to keep her memory alive and um, so that that's been actually really helpful and then I've done um, a just giving page for her because the NICU staff at the hospital that she was in were just amazing people say to me how can you like how can you sort of have so many good words to say about a unit that didn't protect or your baby in a way um you know she's not here but yet you still have so many good things to say about the unit and that's because I know by watching what they've done for her that there was nothing else they could have done they worked their hardest one of the consultants that was on shift worked six hours over her shift to try and save Ivy there's nothing about that unit that you know, we, we don't have any bad word to say. So to raise money for them and obviously to keep Ivy's memory alive, we set up a Just Giving page. People put money in for when she's six months old or for birthdays and, you know, just, just sort of like to say thank you to the unit as well. Um, and then I'm setting myself challenges every now and then to, to raise more money. So for example, next month I've decided that I'm going to run 40 miles throughout the month of April in memory of her, um, you know, just to get a few more pennies towards the NICU. Um, I've started a, a blog just about what happened from the beginning, you know, my miscarriages, how it made me feel when I had my miscarriages. And then it obviously goes on to the story of having Ivy, what happened when Ivy was in the NICU, the first Christmas without Ivy. It's just a little bit of information to try and help others, to realise that it's actually okay to to talk about loss, um, and you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to hide away because your baby's not here. That's still your baby, um, and it obviously helps me as well to to write everything down that I'm feeling. So every time there's a little milestone or there's you know Mother's Day, Christmas, anything like that, I always try and update my blog. Um, again, just to keep her memory alive as well.
0: And after everything that you've both been through are you hoping that possibly in the future there might be a brother or sister for ivy
1: yeah definitely we've got high hopes i mean at the beginning when i first we first found out everything was okay with ivy i said that's it no more ivy's the one and only that's it um obviously when we lost ivy um i was adamant that i was not putting my body through it i was not emotionally mentally or physically going to go through it ever again i said that's it we've we've got her we've lost her uh, we looked into adoption we looked into surrogacy and i was just like that's the only option we have if it means that we have to borrow loads of money or get a loan to do it that's what that's what i'm doing i was adamant that i wasn't putting myself through it it was only when We actually went to the hospital to see Ivy after she had passed away and we had professional pictures done by Remember My Baby. And I kind of thought, if I don't try and do it again, I felt like I was kind of letting her down. So I just thought, I I need to do this for myself and for her one last time. Um, If I can carry a baby, she, I mean, she was fine she was healthy she was fully developed there was nothing wrong with her um at all if i can do it once i can do it again and i just feel like she was telling me that i have to try um so yeah i did put a lot of pressure on myself saying i wasn't going to but yeah we will definitely we definitely try again for another one
0: If you want to hear more of Emma's story, you can find her on Facebook. Just search for Angel Ivy. That's I V I E, where you'll be able to read Emma's story, find her blog, and also the details of the Just Giving page, which she is raising funds for the Luton and Dunstable Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. There is so much help and support online. You can visit Sands, Tommy's, Bliss or the miscarriage association. Happy Mother's Day to all the mummies out there. I'm Katie Brain, you've been listening to Goodness Gracious Grief.